Let me introduce myself. I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. What up, Mean Militia, and welcome to the Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Mean Joe Grizzly, and today, it's a special day. Today is a day when you're looking ahead on your calendar that you do everything you can to avoid. You don't go outside, you just, you just try to stay inside and stay out of trouble. Today is the most unluckiest day of the year. Today is Friday the 13th, and to celebrate Friday the 13th, I can't think of a better time than to revisit one of the greatest horror franchises of all time, Friday the 13th, and talk about my favorite installment of that franchise. And I'm, of course, talking about Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yep, this is my favorite. I Every time I think about the Friday the 13th franchise, this is the first movie that pops in my head. This movie is the the pinnacle of the franchise. To me, the franchise never gets any better than this one. There's some to get close. Part 6 is good. Part 2 is good. Part 3 is good. But none of them ever get this close to being slasher perfection. This is This movie is everything that is good about 80s slashers. If I was making a definitive list of what are the best 80s slashers of all time this is probably in the top three it's at least in the top five and it's damn sure the best the franchise has to offer so i think it's time to head over to the video store dust off that old vcr pop in a vhs tape because it's time for Mean Joe Video.
three times before, you have felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for. Friday, the 13th, the final chapter. Jason is back. He moves like a shadow, dark and silent. Sorry to change your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. He simply, mindlessly, mercilessly, kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Jason's unlucky day. So, Friday the 13th Part 3 was supposed to be the final movie in a trilogy and really the franchise ender, but there wasn't any label or title or anything to really suggest that that was true. So, after being consistently berated by critics and being mentally exhausted from societal backlash and really seeing the decline in popularity of slashers Paramount and Frank Mancuso Jr. decided to kill Jason off for good in the final chapter so in 1983 they hired Joseph Zito who was fresh off his slasher masterpiece The Prowler and guys I'm going to take a little break here to talk to y'all about The Prowler if you have never seen The Prowler I suggest you go watch it if you are a horror movie fan and you have never seen The Prowler you need to go see The Prowler. You need to rent it. Do whatever you got to do. You know, get it on VOD. Go buy the Blu-ray. Man, do what you got to do. The Prowler is so freaking good. Uh, that list of essential 80s slashers that I was talking about earlier in the intro, The Prowler is absolutely on there and probably in the top five. In fact, it's probably side by side with this movie when it comes to what I think are the essential 80s slashers. So they hired Joseph Zito and he would go on to hire Barney Cohen to write the film and then he would make the single most greatest decision that he could have possibly made to make this movie successful and that was hire the great Tom Savini to do special effects and makeup and that right there is probably why at least at the minimum that 75% of this movie is successful and is a competent and glorious slasher because of his makeup effects. The guy just knows effects and he just knows what he's doing. And he's one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. So that was like his best decision ever was hiring Tom Savini. 
and they would begin filming in October of 1983 and would finish in January of 84. And it would only be like six weeks later that they would release on April 13th, which was Friday the 13th, which is freaking awesome. I think that that's like the greatest thing ever that they released it on Friday the 13th for the supposed final movie in the Friday the 13th franchise. It doesn't get any better now. I wish they still did stuff like that today. And it would open in like 1,500 theaters, maybe 1,600 theaters, and would gross like $11.1 million its opening weekend back in the 80s, guys. And it was the number one movie at the box office that weekend. And later on, it would end up grossing $33 million before it was taken out of theaters. Off of And, y'all, this is a $2.6 million budget. Look how much money this movie made. It didn't lose a dime, man. It nothing but profit. That's that's insane that it it had that small of a budget but made so much money. And we find out later on that the reason why the the reason this is the reason why it got a sequel because remember this was supposed to be the final movie but it ended up being only the fourth movie in what nine films. Yeah. Never say never, guys. So as far as the story goes, uh, and this is one of the the big issues with the Friday the 13th uh, franchise, is they got a continuity issue, and they always have, and they always will. Even though a lot of the continuity issues can be fixed very simply, uh, they just don't care to fix them. And that's something that I can overlook, and what some fans can't overlook, but I can overlook it. So supposedly, supposedly this film and part three, yeah, this film and part three take place in the same weekend. And there's a lot of people that speculate that part two does as well. Like supposed to be part two is on Friday, part three is on Saturday, and part four is on Sunday. That is the belief by fans, and that's really the continuity that the franchise has given us up to this point so supposedly this this takes place on sunday the 15th i guess and this is takes place immediately after the aftermath of part three and that's one thing that you can confirm about the continuity in this the continuity between two and three is a little shady but from three to four it's definitely takes place immediately after three so Jason is supposedly dead with an axe in his head and they take his body along with the other bodies to the morgue. And of course he's not dead. He wakes up pissed off and he just starts killing everybody. And then he kind of, he makes his way back towards Crystal Lake. And this is where we meet the character, the mainstays of the, of the, of the film. So you meet a group of teenagers slash maybe early college kids and they're going to the lake for the weekend and right across from their lake house or their vacation house or whatever you want to call it is a family that actually lives there and this is the Jarvis family. And the Jarvis family consists of Miss Jarvis who is a single mother and 
her daughter, who was a little bit older, probably the same age as the college slash teenage kids that are next door, and then a young boy that's probably elementary to preteen age, and his he's played by Corey Feldman, and his name is Tommy Jarvis. And he becomes like, he is the star of the show. He's the star of the movie. He ends up becoming, as far as the character of Tommy Jarvis goes, he becomes like a franchise staple, like for the next, from this movie and the next two. He is like a big, pivotal character in the franchise. Sort of like, um, sort of like Jason's version of uh, Dr. Loomis. He's just a thorn in Jason's side. So you're introduced to these characters, and this is this is an, a part where Friday Thirteenth Part Four or, or the final chapter separates itself from other slashers. Most slasher movies and Friday Thirteenth franchise is the is probably the most notorious for this. Most slasher movies have very weak characters and they're really just there to get hacked up by the killer but not with this one they actually assemble like a cast and and give them enough development to where you actually sympathize with these characters and you actually like these characters and and over in the over on the across the way where the teens are at partying one of the characters that everybody that's a fan of the franchise loves Crispin Glover's character in this movie. He is probably the most sympathetic out of all of them. And the guy's just trying to make it with ladies, man. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. But he is a dork. <laughs> and and I can relate to that as well. There is a scene in this movie, and it's a notorious scene, where he's trying to like get with this one girl who's a twin. And they call them, they, they call them the double mint twins, but I don't, that's not really their name. And he's trying to get with one of the twins, and he turns on this this rock mu- rock music. And I think that it's uh it's like eighties hair metal, and it's I think it's White Line is the name of the band. So it's this this rock song's playing in the background, and he just starts doing this weird dance. And if you've seen the movie and you're a fan of the franchise, you know exactly what dance I'm talking about. It is horrible, <laughs> but. The girl's actually digging it because the guy's got the balls to actually get out there and dance with him in, in the house and everything. But it is such an awkward dance. But it ends up working. He ends up getting the girl, man. He actually gets with the girl. And anybody anybody that can, can anybody can sympathize with that. And just there's another there's another little storyline where one of the one of the girls really likes this one guy that's in the group and they end up finding out that they, they both like each other. So that story kind of gets kind of has you sympathetic towards those characters. And really I expected the first time I ever watched this movie, I expected the teen characters to be super, super like weak and, and not relatable in the least or at all. And for the family, the Jarvis family, to be the most relatable characters in the movie, but they're about equal because the 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 interaction with all the with all the people in the Jarvis family is also super relatable. So 
it's not like this it's not like this oh this uh this part of the story with these characters is super weak and this one's really strong so it's wops lopsided nah they're both pretty equal and they do a good job of making you sympathize with with both sets of characters so that that's one thing that definitely separates it from the rest of the films in the franchise and really slashers in general uh is the other big highlight of this movie is ted white as jason ted white as jason is probably the scariest version of jason yeah i said it it's probably the best one too i, I said it yeah i'm look i respect the hell out of kane hotter i do think kane hotter is the quintessential jason Voorhees, but my favorite is ted white I, I kind of have a similar take on um, on Michael Myers, too. Like, a lot of people look at me sideways when I say that Dick Warlock is my favorite Michael Myers because he's he he has the sneakiness of Nick Castle, but the physicality of, of George, I think it's George P. Wilbur later on. He To me, Dick Warlock set the precedent for how that character is supposed to be in that second film. And Ted White, I believe, does the same. I think when I think when Kane Hodder took over the role as Jason, he wanted to be more like Ted White and less like the other two guys that came after Ted White. And it definitely shows because other than Kane Hodder, Ted other than Kane Hodder, Ted White is definitely the most physical and intimidating version of Jason that we have seen. The thing about the there are also two different versions of Jason that both of those actors are portraying. With Kane Hodder playing majority, the playing the undead version of Jason, and Ted White playing the more, the human version of Jason, or the more human version of Jason, and it's it's his his physicality, his aggression. Like I really believe when I watched this movie, I was like, I was completely convinced that he was really trying to kill these these kids. <laughs> Especially Corey Feldman, the way he handles Corey Feldman. And it turns out, I watched an interview one time where Ted White hated Corey Feldman. He hated he hated Corey Feldman as a kid. So it was some of that aggression and physicality that he got with Corey Feldman, that was real. <laughs> and, and and it showed. And I, I just think that he's so freaking intimidating. Like, he's he's running through doors. He's he's crushing people's faces and heads. Uh, he he's nailing people up on walls, like pinning people to houses with a pitchfork. He throws one one girl out the window and she lands on top of a car and just gets completely mangled when she hits the car. I mean, there's he he is he is super intimidating. If that version of Jason showed up, I'd shit my pants. <laughs> He's so freaking scary. Uh, I, I, at least that's my opinion. I mean, there's versions that are scary. Like part sevens is pretty, pretty creepy, and and part sixes is pretty creepy. But and part twos is creepy as well. But if this one showed up at my house, I'd shit my pants. I'd be scared to death. So he he's definitely one of the highlights as well. And then getting to the ultimate highlight of this movie, the effects and the kills. I don't have to sit back and try to convince y'all 
if y'all know who Tom Savini is, I don't have to convince y'all how good he is because his work speaks for itself. But as far as slasher movies go, his work in slasher movies, I'd, I'd say his top three are his work in The Prowler, his work in The Burning, and his work here in, in part four. And I think that his work in this film is the best work he ever did in slashers. His kills look so real at times. Like, it's scary. And I, I know that a lot of it had to do with him being a Vietnam uh, War photographer. So he's actually seen death like this before. So it, it's it's amazing that he can translate that trauma that he he experienced in his life and completely tie it to his effects. I think that's so amazing and shows how great of an artist he is so it, it, it definitely shows and I don't really I don't really have a favorite kill in this movie because all of them are phenomenal there's like one where it cuts away from the screen yeah that one's not that great but every kill in this movie is gnarly like there's a scene I think it's the coroner's death uh, Jason takes the bone saw and starts sawing his head off and midway through stops and just twists his head all the way around. Super disgusting. Uh, probably my favorite kill in the movie. I, I don't really have a favorite, but one that really sticks out with me that makes me cringe every time I see it is there's a scene, one of the characters is in the shower and Jason comes in and he busts through the glass and he pins the guy's head against the, the shower tiles and starts crushing his face and he kills him by crushing his face in and it looks so freaking real at, at one point that I was like oh my god it just it makes me cringe every time I see it so again there is no I do not have a definitive favorite kill in this movie but that one's the one that makes me cringe the most and then you have the ending and the ending of this movie does exactly what it says it's going to do, which is kill Jason. And it goes about with Corey Feldman. They're, him and his sister are being chased by Jason. They're the only two that are left alive. His sister's struggling trying to keep Jason at bay. He runs upstairs. He shaves his head and comes back downstairs and him shaving his head completely catches Jason off guard. It's almost like he's, it's almost like he's looking in a mirror and it sounds kind of cheesy, but it works for the movie. And he, Jason's kind of stunned and he really doesn't know. He really doesn't know how to handle it. So he's kind of just looking at Tommy. And while he's looking at Tommy, Jason takes a, or, or Tommy takes a swing and ends up knocking his mask off, which it might not have been Tommy that took the swing first. It might have been his sister. Yeah, I think his sister takes the swing, knocks his mask off, and we get to see Jason's mangled face. And at that moment, Tommy ends up taking advantage of it and slapping Jason in the face with this machete. And he goes into the side of Jason's face, and he goes about midway in. So probably from the side of his head right to the bridge of his nose. And Jason hits the ground. He falls forward. And when he falls forward, the handle of the machete 
hits the ground and Jason's head just slides down this machete and it is so freaking gnarly and just disgusting and that is how they kill off Jason and it was such a fitting gruesome end I think that I think that Tom Tom Savini which he made a comment in an interview one time that he created Jason he wanted to be the one to kill him so this was like a not really a dream come true but something that he wanted to do and he definitely did it and it was freaking fantastic it's one of the it's one of the best kills of the franchise and I can't speak enough about how shocking it was to see that the first time even though I knew that it wasn't the last movie just knowing like this just it felt like the last movie even even though it, you you know for a fact it's not the final chapter because there's freaking eight other films this movie definitely feels like it's the final chapter and that's that was something that I, that that also to me added to how great this movie is is they don't hold anything back and they go they go for broke and I liked it I like how they 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 went at this with we ain't got nothing to lose and then they made a sequel <laughs> And so it made so much money that they couldn't stop. So they kept making sequels. And nine sequels later, here we are. But that is for a different story. I just wanted to take time on this Friday the 13th to talk about my my favorite installment in the, in the franchise. And I believe this one was released 38 years ago. And I think a couple of days ago, the original turned 42. That's freaking crazy. It's... It's amazing, though, that how effective this movie still is to this day, even though it is 38 years old. This movie is older than me, and it is still effective to this day. So, it's definitely, definitely says a lot about it. So, y'all go check it out, but before you do that, I'm going to give my rating. So let's get to the pros, cons, and the verdict. So the pros is you got the best characters of the franchise. They made these characters relatable. They they made you very sympathetic to them. You you generally feel bad for these characters when they die. Uh, that's something that you can't say for almost any slasher. So that they're definitely effective at. Uh, makeup effects... Definitely talked a lot about how that is probably the absolute best part of this movie. Uh, Tom Savini is just showing off at this point uh, some of the best special effects in the entire genre. And they could not have picked a better person to kill off Jason Voorhees or to come back to do the supposed final movie of the franchise. Uh, Ted White is a... He's at least the scariest version of Jason that we've ever seen. Uh, I think that I personally think he's the best Jason that we've ever seen. Uh, he is intimidating. He is terrifying. Uh, he's brutal. He's the best Jason, hands down. Uh, the The pacing of the movie is pretty good. You, you don't ever feel like anything's dragging. Uh, it's it's pretty consistent. Uh, movie movie fires on all cylinders at all times. 
but doesn't fire on enough to where you don't get to develop the characters that you need. It's just great pacing, especially for a slasher film. The soundtrack, fantastic. Most Friday the 13th soundtracks are pretty good. This one, no exception. It's, it's pretty good. Might not be the best, but it's pretty good. The uh, the way the movie shot, uh, the the little glare on the lens and the kind of dinginess of those 80s slashers is very prevalent here and I think it adds to it adds to the the effectiveness of the movie. So I thought that was a good choice too. They, I felt like they kind of abandoned that in the third movie, but I could be wrong. I don't remember it looking like this. Uh, but either way, it's effective and I like it. So on to the cons. Uh, I don't really have a lot of cons for this one. Uh, the one thing that every Friday the 13th movie gets, its continuity is a mess and is awful. Uh, that's just how it is. That's, you got to take it with a grain of salt, but that is a complaint that I have uh, does it really deviate from the score that I'm giving this movie and at this moment I do want to clarify that when I score movies each one of them is on a individual basis and I score these movies to what they are supposed to be scored as for example if I'm watching a Marvel movie I'm rating and scoring this movie based on the fact that it is a Marvel movie. So I'm not going to rate and score Iron Man the same way I'm going to rate and score Back to the Future or Forrest Gump, if that makes any sense. So my score is indicative of that type of movie. So for instance, Halloween 3 isn't the greatest movie of all time. Halloween 3 is a good sci-fi horror film. And I like it a lot, so I'm probably going to give it three and a half, three or four out of five. But that doesn't mean because it has a three and a half, four out of five, that it's on the same level movie-wise as Goodfellas, which I would give a four out of five at least. If that makes any sense. Oh, and one more con I do have. There is a death in this scene that I laugh every single time because the guy's like, he's killing me. He's killing me. I can't, I can't deal with it, guys. I'm going to laugh about it. And almost every single Friday the 13th movie has a death like that. So, again, that doesn't change my score, but it's still hilarious. <laughs> So it's some bad acting, but I don't know if it's intentionally done to get to have like a break in the in the terror, but it's pretty freaking hilarious. So those are really my cons, and really we we get down to the verdict, and to me, Joseph Zito delivers one of the greatest slashers of all time, and even though it wasn't the conclusion to the franchise. It surely feels like it. And it's got the best kills, characters, and possibly the scariest version of Jason ever. This movie is the best the franchise has to offer. And with that, I give 
Friday the 13th, the final chapter, a 5 out of 5, and is grizzly grade guaranteed. Go pick it up. Go watch it. And with that, we are going to bring this episode to a close. Thank you all so much for joining me on this special Friday the 13th episode and this segment of Mean Joe video. I love Friday the 13th, the final chapter, guys. And I hope that people who have listened to this that haven't seen it yet will go watch this movie because it truly is one of the great, greatest slashers that was ever made. So please go check that out. Uh, I want to give thanks to y'all for continuing to listen to the show and for your patience on me getting these episodes out uh, i want to give a shout out to zombie hyperdrive and their song red eyes that's what i use for my intro and outro music everything they do is good guys check their stuff out also i want to give a shout out to carl casey at white bat audio who i use his music for my background music uh everything the guy does is great killer synth wave stuff go check him out on spotify apple music youtube the guy just the guy everything the guy makes is great so go check his stuff out uh next is probably going to be some we're going to probably cover some stranger things material we're probably going to do a grizzly guide episode on that uh with stranger things coming at the end of the month uh we got uh this week coming up where i'm going to take a little short break and then i'm going to pick back up the week after next so stay tuned for some stranger things coverage and uh then obviously the new season will drop and we'll be doing a grizzly grave review on that but again thank you guys so much and remember i'm joe grizzly bitch